trilogy there um all three films uh the legendary superhero film starring wesley snipes um this one our poll uh that we put up there uh we're doing reviews of uh a lot of black films there for black history month um and doing films with black cast uh black directors um you know that have black themes in them so um this was on a poll with last black man san francisco the five bloods and princess and the frog um put up last black man san francisco for jonathan majors obviously uh for Mm ant-man um and then also put up blade because it's a superhero movie um and then we had a superhero movie come out uh very recently with ant-man um so this one, I mean, people sometimes forget about this one as being ushering the new renaissance mm-hmm. of the superhero film. A lot of people point to X-Men, which came out in 01, and then people point to... Actually, no, X-Men came out in 2000, um, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Spider-Man, uh, which was Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, um, is pointing to those films as being like the big thing that kicked off uh, superhero movies after Batman and Robin, which came out in 95, uh, which basically just tanked all superhero movies. Everybody just, a lot of studios just completely just drifted away from superhero movies after that, after that colossal failure. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, this came out, uh, Blade, 1998, um, and big success, uh, big success all around. Um, I know some critics at the time were kind of mixed on it, but financially did very well um you had wesley snipes um you know from you know had success you know has trained in martial arts um he was in things like new jack city uh passenger 57 uh demolition man um and he kind of it was almost perfect casting um, as Blade, um, even the look of him. Uh, Blade, who's a character um, that came around the kind of... Um, it's funny that we also did a review for uh, Black Dynamite as well, uh, because mm. Blade came at a time in the 70s where the black exploitation thing was really big, um, where characters like also Luke Cage also appeared. Um, so that was kind of the reason why Blade existed in the first place. So it was kind of cool seeing this character kind of make it to the big screen um, and, you know... I know sometimes when you look at a lot of black superhero movies, not a lot of great legacy there. You got Meteor Man or Blank Man, uh, Catwoman. It's 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 not a very good legacy. But uh, you know, played I think has to me I think stood the test of time. Um, you know, even a movie coming out in 1998, which is you know some of the effects obviously look kind of rough. Um, you know, some of the things are kind of cheesy. Some of the stuff is kind of dated. You know, it is very much 90s to early 2000s cool because these sequels lead up into the early 2000s. The last film, Blade mm-hmm. Tr- uh, Trinity, was up in, was 2004, which was, that one came out. Um, and what I mean by that is you got to have, you know, there's a lot of like rave scenes in this. Like that was like the big thing back in the mm-hmm. day. Like everybody, they thought all young kids were going got to it. raves. Yeah, um, going. yeah, it's got the... You got the raves, you got the all leather outfits, you got the sunglasses indoors, which, yeah, this movie did it first, not The Matrix. This was a year before that. Yes. Uh, You uh, got the techno soundtrack, which, I'll be honest, even watching the movie today, still kind of a banger. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That opening one, I think, is still good. Oh, yeah. And Bradley, good you mentioned that. Yeah, 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 the opening, it's one of the best openings, I think, to not just a superhero movie, but just to a straight action film period oh yeah and i'm playing it right now so you see like you know you know this guy who i forgot this actor's name i've seen him in a bunch (laughs) this yeah this this poor schmuck who got uh, who got who got honey who got honey potted into coming to this vampire rave 
You know, he thinks he's gonna have a good time. He's like, yeah, this chick is a little weird. But, he thinks he's, you know, yeah, she's hot though. So yeah, you know what it, I mean? Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She got lured into a party by Tracy Lords, who, yeah, she's grabbing on him in the car. He's like, all right, this is about to be a great night. And then you just get jumped in a club with blood sprinklers. Yeah, the bl- the blood sprinklers start coming on. Like he so he starts to see, like he s- starts to feel on his face, then it starts pouring down. And Tracy Lords, who has a, cr- I mean, she's named in the movie, like it's uh, I believe like in the opening credits, uh, prominent billing, and she dies in the opening of this movie. <laughs> but just the way this movie opens is probably one of the best character introductions ever because you see that you know he's covered in blood, these vampires are all around him, and then he's just absolutely scared for his life, and then he's stumbling, and then all of a sudden, boom. You see yeah, Blade crawling away, and then just clean black boots. This dude's armed to the teeth. He's got a sword on his back, and every single one of those vampires is scared shitless of him. Yeah. They're like, "Oh, fuck!" And I like how he made sure, like you see, like in that scene, the blood did not touch the black boots. They made sure not to, you know what I mean. That blood stopped right at those black boots. Mm. You know what I mean? They're like, "Nah, nah, nah. You ain't, you ain't fucking up the fit." You ain't fucking up the nice fit, man. Either the clean boots, you know what I mean? Hey, I, yeah, I, yeah, I've been watching a lot of boondocks, and they say in that show that, oh, a pair of sneakers, it's basically a $150 landmine. Uh, I mean, it is nice. And you see him, like you said, Blade is coming in here, all, you know, just, you know, just armed to the teeth. And it is a great action sequence. A lot of these action sequences are very good, even if the CGI is a little wonky. And mm-hmm. some of the things with the vampires die and they kind of just kind of like evaporate into like skeletons and stuff like that. Yeah, some of that doesn't really look the best uh, there, but it's still yeah. very, very good. And a lot of fun. The writhing. And the, writhing and the fun. The, yeah, the writhing of it sells it so well. And it's just hilarious how all of these guys stepping up to Blade think they're gonna be the one it's like seeing it's like playing arkham city and getting all those goons like yeah i hope batman comes in here it's like motherfucker yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens uh, Take your chance. I, you got a good chance as anyone else yeah, played, I guess. yeah tracy lords gets like very prominent billing and she gets like gut checked and headshotted like not even 10 minutes in the movie yeah i don't think they realize it's blade at first I think they've all no, heard. They, no, they're they're all scared. It's like, oh fuck, it's him. It's yeah. the Daywalker. Surprisingly enough, this actually does a better job of staying true to Richard Matheson's "I Am Legend" than the hey, <laughs> adaptation has. The epiphany Robert Neville has towards the end of that book is, "I'm what goes bump in the night for these vampires. I'm mm-hmm. the thing creeping in the shadows. I am legend." That's how it kind of ends. Uh, spoiler for that forty-year-old book, <laughs> and. Uh, and he shows up and just grins at him, and security comes in while so many vampires, uh, smarter vampires at least, are like, nope, party's over, I'm leaving, <laughs> nope. I'm out to die, I'm like 100 years old, I'm going to see my 101st, goodbye. I thought, that's so clever. I'm staying, al- I'm staying alive to the fucking future cars, I am not trying to die today. <laughs> Such a great character introduction. With it, Before he even fights, we know that he's skilled mm. in ways that these monsters are afraid of it's yeah these yeah yeah these these monsters these vampires that we were just shown to have been horrifying to see just see this guy that as far as we know as an audience he's the one of the first characters we're introduced to and we are scared right along with him and then this 
goddamn leather trench coated monolith shows up and everything that was scaring the shit out of you is now shitting their pants. Yeah. Um, and another thing about this movie that makes it really great is it's not really, it's not an origin movie. You know, um, mm-hmm. when it's so many superhero movies, you know, the first movie's got to be like the origin of setting up the character and how he gets their powers and training to become the hero. Here, it just starts off right off the bat. You see him, he's already established. He's already at the top of his game. He's already doing what he does. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also a really great thing about that. Um, that maybe something that superhero movies should do more of instead of, you know, doing all this time to spend uh, setting up the character. Um, they do give the backstory of Blade, and you know the the whole premise of this movie is you have the vampire hunter Blade, who va- other vampires call the Daywalker. He's the he's the Daywalker. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They got their own kind of boogeyman name for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And oh, yeah, it's like yeah, he, and we see uh, at least his origin as we've come to know later in the film, where it's this woman that's being wheeled into hospital. She's pregnant. She's bleeding profusely out of the neck. We. Uh, hear the cries of a baby, but then we hear a flat line. Mm, yeah. And that does so much to establish what we come to know more of uh, Blade the character. And I think this is a very flawed film, but a lot of that comes from uh, Bushu Wright, who plays uh, Dr. Karen Jensen, who is our audience avatar. And she is the one who is more or less filled in on Blade's backstory. Yeah, And she's kind of the... the and she is the person that is that allows Blade and Wesley Snipes to introduce a little bit of vulnerability that we didn't really see a lot in a lot of these uh, kinds of action films. Yeah. Um, and it's very nice when you have that character there too. Yeah, you said she's kind of the audience avatar character to explain more of Blade and his history. And then you have Chris Christopherson who plays Whistler, um, who's his partner uh, there that kind of helps him father figure partner um, in, in fighting the war on vampires. Uh, this is directed by Stephen Norton. Uh, Nordington, uh, who previously um, he also after this he went on to do League of Extremely. Uh, uh, I mean, leave. I always want to say leave Extremely Ordinary <laughs> Gentlemen. I always want to say that every time. <laughs> Me too. Uh, Me too. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, uh, which he went on to direct that movie, uh, which was. Ugh a mess uh critical uh and financial failure on all levels there um and then i don't think he's ever directed a movie since league uh the league uh, of extreme uh, extraordinary yeah. gentlemen yeah. league of extraordinary gentlemen broke this man yeah <laughs> um i guess that was his um what was that movie uh uh with uh with marlon brando um Oh, uh, fucking the Island Squirrel? of Dr. Moreau. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, the Island. I guess that was his Island of Dr. Moreau there. He's like, all right, good. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I can't do this no more. Yeah. Um, and Chris Christopherson is really great in this movie. He's awesome um, in this movie. Um, and you can see why he was brought back for the sequel, even though that his character is supposed to die in this first one. So you get why, you know, yeah, they kind it, of brought him back there. Yeah, yeah his character dies and it's... And it's the emotional climax of the movie, it, very much so, because you have Blade who's struggling to hold it together for his mentor. But you can tell it's something behind the eyes of Wesley Snipes in that scene. You can tell he's breaking down internally and his rampage in the next scene that he goes on. It's palpable. Yeah. Absolutely. And in that scene, we see that Blade to this point just kind of seems like a ruthless killer, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term but that he won't even shoot his mentor when he knows what his mentor is going to become. Mm-hmm. You actually see a ton of humanity in that. Blade yeah. isn't just a mindless killer mm-hmm. that enjoys 
hunting vampires and he does enjoy it a lot you know he's very mm-hmm. happy when he's killing vampires hey you gotta love what you do hey you gotta <laughs> love what you do <laughs> exactly and that's where we discover that because his mentor's like it's just like you gotta kill me just do it blade mm-hmm. blade just leaves the gun and walks away and i thought that was very well done yeah um, the main antagonist movie, you have Stephen Dorff, who plays Deacon Frost, um, who is funny. Stephen Dorff, I mean, he's most known for, probably for doing Blade. Uh, I don't know why people ask his opinion on superhero movies. I guess because he was in one, but he always says, like, they're mm-hmm. fucking pointless and they're stupid and who wants to see the <laughs> see the things. Um, he's kind of one of those people that talks about it. I mean, I say he can't. I mean, he can have his opinion on it. Um, it's yeah, just kind of the irony is just kind of funny there that he's most known for doing a superhero <laughs> movie and he. To, you know, I mean, talks a lot of shit yeah, about it, him. It's just the irony yeah, is kind of funny like, there. Yeah, it's like his. Yeah, which I'll say it right now. His best role I've ever seen him in, and the one that he is the most known for is in a very genre that he despises. Apparently, despises in every single interview he gives. Yeah, oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, his uh, character Deacon Frost is full on one hundred percent. My dad owns a dealership type of behavior. You know. <laughs> exactly he's kind of he's kind of like the prototypical son of the mob boss in the way he plays it and a lot of his ambition and he's basically i'm trying to think of how to describe him in like today's terms he's basically if logan paul became a vampire (laughs) that is the way he plays it but but steven dorf has this kind of nonchalantness and this disdain for for the ruling class of vampires that kind of makes this performance kind of better than I remember it being watching this on VHS when I was a kid. Yeah. I think with Stephen Dorff, so his whole kind of with Deacon Frost, um, his whole kind of goal in this is to become a vampire God, to become the ruler of all vampires. And mm-hmm. I think he sees, you know what I mean? He has a little bit of, I think insecurity there because he's amongst the counts mm-hmm. of all these pure blood vampires. And there's a little bit of a, um, you know, kind of a, a barrier there between pure blood vampires and then vampires who just turned. Um, and so he kind of feels, I think a little bit of insecurity there. And he, you know, wants to be kind of top dog uh, amongst these kind of vampires and doesn't see the need to very much, you know, have a truce or alliance with humans because a lot of these, Mm -hmm. you know, vampires, as Blade also talks about. And another good thing about this movie, they do set up good world building as well because Blade also talks about how Mm -hmm. vampires are amongst us in this society. They're the, you know, kind of ones pulling the strings behind a lot of things and they're in politics and all this other various different institutions um, in order for them Mm -hmm. to exist in society. Yeah, yeah, most, yeah, every single one of the settings we see, like the ruling class of vampire, it's all, it's all sleek, it's all very modern, it's like tech that probably doesn't exist yet, there's this air, there's this air of regalness with a lot of the ruling vampires that we see very briefly in this film, and even more so in the, in the second one. Mm. And Deacon Frost, he's like basically just throwing raves in the back of slaughterhouses. He's got like owning nightclubs with fucking pools and bitches along the sides of them. Mm. Yeah. It's like the, the head vampire or the head vampires, you could say, a lot like Brian Cox's character in Succession and Stephen Dorff <laughs> is the Roman. You know, he's like, I want to be a vampire god and have people bow to me. And the elite vampires, like, dude. That's, that's going to get us disinvited Fuck to off. George Clooney's Christmas party. Why would we draw that attention to ourselves? Mm-hmm. You're out of your mind. Stop being a cartoon child who wants to rule things and get with the actual mm-hmm. program. I think both of them uh, have their flaws and their 
mm-hmm. a wit about them. Like a vampire god sounds pretty cool. But that you know, they've been alive for thousands of years. They know they know the song and dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, and one of the main ones that we spend time with is a uh, Dragon Eddie, who's played by Udo Kier, and he plays it with this. I've kind of seen everything feel to it. It's like, it's like there've been like a hundred of you before this and yeah. you're nothing more than another ant to me, <laughs> which kind of makes that, uh, that character's death scene that much more, uh, tragic and does a little bit more to set up, uh, frost as an actual villain and a counterpart to blade. Yeah. Uh, and that bring up that scene of the death scene of the main kind of vampire uh, kind of ruler there or the lead of the council there as you kind of are presented to see um, some of the kind of logic as far as the way vampires are seems a little wonky like I mean there's a scene where <laughs> Frost meets Blade um, and then he's wearing just sunscreen <laughs> and uh, you know yeah, in broad daylight which if that can work why are you fucking around with all this uh all this hiding in the shadows. It's like we find out the vampire's own copper tone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, and then we really think about it, it's like, wouldn't his eyeballs catch on fire? I mean, he can't put sunscreen on his eyeballs or anything like that. Yeah, it's like, what happens? Yeah, it's like, what happens the second you open your mouth to talk? Yeah, I mean, so kind of my thing it also it. takes away all the superstition and magic of why they're banished from the sun. You know, mm-hmm. the original myth is they creep, they crawl. They are banished from the glory of God, for lack of a better term, which would mm-hmm. be the sun. And just putting on sunscreen and be like, that solves that. Eh, not not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Putting on sunscreen, wearing like motorcycle silly, outfits, throwing right? on a motorcycle helmet with a shaded visor somehow protects them from the sun. Right. Uh, <laughs> and and the bloodlust which, which, which I too. Which I, which I kind of get why they made a lot of those decisions, because... Um, because the comic it's based on, uh, which I think Blade originally appeared in the 70s in the comic Tomb of Dracula, which was basically Marvel publishing like straight up the Dracula story from, uh, from uh, Bram Stoker. And here they wanted to kind of ground, which was by Dave Gore, who would write all three films. And he wanted to ground it and give a more like scientific reason for why vampires exist, which is delved into and kind of uh, sets this apart from a lot of vampire fiction. And I think a lot of what we come to know as vampires today is owed a lot to Blake. Mm. Yeah. I agree. Um, and then also that scene where he meets Deacon Frost in uh, the park there. Uh, also the first time we, I think we've seen bullet time. Uh, that was even before the Matrix. It was Matrix in 1999, and then oh, Blade was in 1980. So that was you're kind of right. first exposure to that. Shit, really. you might be. Uh, shit, you're kind of right. Yeah, the little slow mo scene where we see the bullets fly and Frost dodges it, and then yeets a child into a goddamn taco stand. <laughs> um, and um. Amongst- sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeats, yeats a child in the initial throw, and then the taco stand shows up, and it's a grown ass man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that that, that that's, that's kind of weird things you notice too. The body doubles there uh, of that scene were just yeah. I mean that was yeah comical there. Um, and 
Wesley Snipes as the character of Blade, I mean, really just works. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, amongst kind of perfect comic book castings, like people always talk about J. Jota Jameson, uh, played by J.K. Simmons, or maybe, you know, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. You know, here, Wesley Snipes uh, really, I think, does such a fantastic job as Blade uh, that Mahershala Ali, who's going to be Blade in the next upcoming uh, MCU project there, Blade, is going to have a a hard act to follow there. You got, yeah, you've got some big ass boots and sunglasses to fill, Mahershala Ali. And it's not just the fact that, you know, it's fantastic casting of, you know, not only Wesley Snipes being this insanely talented martial artist, this great stuntman, a a lot of the fights and uh, uh, action set pieces, Wesley Snipes is doing that himself. Uh, And uh, so much of it is giving this vulnerability and this humanness to a character that played by any other actor would have just been kind of this unfeeling killing machine, which I think was a folly of a lot of, a lot of action films, especially towards the end of the nineties where we were going to the tail end of, of the careers of guys like, like uh, Stallone in their prime, like Schwarzenegger, like Van Damme. Yeah. Um, and just the way he kind of plays it, because he does play it as a guy who's very, you know, serious and, you know, he's very dark, he does mm-hmm. man a few words. But then all of a sudden, he'll just kind of burst out and have these kind of <laughs> moments. And, like, there's the hospital <laughs> scene um, that oh, where he gets... Yes. Sh- the, the, the greatest character break in history where it's like, we've known him to be this, I? I came back to finish you <laughs> off. He just punches a guy. It's like... <laughs> I mean, it's like this <laughs> stuff so like that. Funny. It's just is just wild to me how you kind of have those moments. And there's like there's a scene I remember where he's in the car with uh, Wright's character, um, and then he smiles at her for real quick. When he's turning on the car, and then he just goes back to serious face like that. Just this moments like that are just really great. Uh, Bradley, what do you kind of what were some of your thoughts on Wesley Snipes is is kind of blade there? my understanding that a lot of wesley snipes is in blade Mm -hmm. i've blade was one of my favorite movies as a teenager probably one of the first r-rated movies i've seen i think i was 15 years old other than robocop and it's my understanding and please correct me if i'm wrong chad or you two that he would talk to the writers and directors and they would say oh we got to put that dialogue in just based on how Mm -hmm. wesley snipes would talk to them allegedly they had this ending where Deacon Frost was a blood tornado. He <laughs> yes, cured the blood tornado. Yeah, Is that, that true? Yeah, that, that was the original ending of, of the movie. And the original cut of this was like two and a half hours long. And test audiences hated it. And I, I, that is way too And then long, that though. original screening ending was scrapped and it was reshot. And what ended up... Uh, what ended up in the final product is now the ending of the film. I mean, the original ending had a had Morbius cameo, which it's kind of insane that that <laughs> twenty five years ago we almost morbed. Yeah. Said morbid time back in the nineties. <laughs> well, we I guess, almost I guess morbed twenty five years ago. <laughs> someone overheard Wesley Snipes, and again, this might be an urban legend, but say something like, "Man, you know, some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill." And Goyer was like. That has to be in the movie. It's a yeah. brilliant line. <laughs> Dave, David S. Goyer is like, yeah, Goyer and Stephen Norrington are like, fuck, we got to throw that yeah. in there. 
Which that is kind that is basically uh, Deacon Frost's entire arc throughout this film. Where it is, I he's a guy who is infected. He's not a not a pure blooded vampire. He's kind of this punk teenager with a superiority complex, and it's like some motherfucker is always trying to ice skate uphill (laughs) before. Before he just like throws up a dart and spin <laughs> kicks, spin it. kicks it into the dude's head, <laughs> and it's, and it's no, amazing. Uh, yeah. I also really appreciate about, about Blade is this opened up so many of Wesley Snipes' films for me. You know, like mm-hmm. wow, as a 15 year old comic book nerd, that was amazing. And then suddenly I'm watching White Men Can't Jump and uh, New Jack City and. Um, what was one of our favorites? It's a bad movie in retrospect, but it was about like skydivers that would rob banks or something. Not Point Break. <laughs> I think it was called Terminal Velocity. But, um, oh, me and shit. my yeah, me and my uh, cousin would just binge these Wesley Snipe movies. I even I even unironically enjoyed Murder at sixteen hundred and um, The Art of War. You know, it was just mm. my guy to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, Van yes. Damme and Steven Seagal were. This is what I was explaining to my son Calvin today because he was like, what are you watching? I'm like, oh, it's Blade. And, you know, he starts watching and he's like, this is pretty cool. And Wesker breaks through mm-hmm. the, you know, the side of a building and goes, catch you fuckers at a bad time. <laughs> yeah, that's so me. good. My second son, he's old enough to watch this. He looks over at me and goes, I'm sorry, isn't Blade a Marvel character? And I'm like, he is. This, this yeah, is baby. <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny because I think um, – I think outside of like a blurb in the uh, in the opening credits, very little Marvel is in either this or the second movie. Yeah. It, besides just like in association with Marvel Entertainment, they really don't have a footprint on this, and which is kind of insane because when you really think about it, and I have this take where I think Blade is the single most important film as far as like the early '90s and the the late nineties and the early two thousands, because without this movie, without, uh, without the showing that a Marvel property can be one, a very dark superhero film and be the first big success for Marvel films. Because besides this, the couple unreleased, uh, fantastic, the unreleased fantastic four movie, the unreleased captain America one, the last Marvel film that went to theaters was Howard, the duck Mm. before, uh, before blade and without this we don't get films like x-men we don't get spider-man we don't get the marvel cinematic universe so a lot of that a lot of kind of the landscape of cinema today i think is owed to blade and i think it's the most important film to come out in the last like 30 some years yeah um and let me play that uh classic line there um that gory just felt like he had to kind of put (laughs) in the film there um that was uh, oh, allegedly, if Some that story is true, which I am really hoping it is. <laughs> um, and that whole uh, action scene at the end is really great. I mean, you have a scene where he rips a dude's throat out and throws it at another dude. I mean, that <laughs> can't get better than that. <laughs> rips a dude's throat out and throws it at another dude. He has a guy down on the floor and is just repeatedly soccer kicking him in his balls before he just lifts him up eight feet in the air. He has a spin kickoff with another goon in the middle of this massive fight scene. And uh-huh. none of it is played with even an ounce of winking at the camera. It's played so straight and it's so much fun. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, kind of adding to that net feeling, Dan- uh, Daniel Logue, who we've got to mention, who plays one of the henchman vampires of uh, Stephen Dorff's character, Deacon Frost, <laughs> is also really great here. Yeah, he, he's yeah, he's very much the the comic relief of the film, but it's not in in that like paused and wait for the studio audience laugh kind of sense of humor that I feel is infected a lot of Marvel films and superhero films in general in the last like a uh, couple years it's played more like a very dark Looney Tunes because the running gag is he keeps getting bits of him cut off the route he gets set on fire through it he gets pinned to a wall with the greatest action movie gif of Blade holding a shotgun and just like hmm I do, I do got to correct myself. Terminal Velocity was a Charlie Sheen action movie. The oh, one I'm thinking cool. of where they jump out of planes and, ah, we can't fall too fast. We're, we're, we're doing a heist. Gary Busey in it, also in Point Break. And that was the Wesley Snipes movie. Ah, okay. Parachuters. So, yeah, professional ah, skydivers okay. team up with tough cops and... Uh, Try to capture a renegade computer hacker. So it's a terrible movie, but me and my cousin would watch it all the time because <laughs> Wesley Snipes is just one of our favorite action heroes. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and I think when you talk about uh, action heroes and you bring up Wesley Snipes, I think a lot of that is because you know just off of his resume, because uh, because besides Blade, you get stuff like Passenger Fifty Seven, Demolition Man, mm-hmm. um, and and just recently with a. Uh, 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 Dolomite is my name and coming to America, which I think his character is the best part about that. Yeah. I think out of all the like the late nineties action stars, he's probably the best actor out of all of them, besides yeah, Stallone absolutely. when he wants to try. Yeah. <laughs> Harsh for Stallone, but I do agree though. <laughs> Harsh like, but Jean- accurate. Jean-Claude Van Damme and Schwarzenegger when kind of got over their uh let's say punch kick or uh they just kind of faded because of how awful they were at acting, which I, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to come down on anyone, but you imagine Jean-Claude Van Damme trying to give a nuanced performance. I did like JCVD. Actually. Yeah. That's the monologue in JCVD, JCVD is fantastic. The monologue in JCVD. Yeah, JCV, really yeah. JCVD is fantastic. And yeah. yeah the, and yeah. And Blade is one of the best characters. And I think one of uh, Snipes iconic performances yeah. and, and one of the iconic black uh, superheroes, because mm. as much credit as Black Panther gets for being like one of the big, what being the first black Marvel character, Blade did it first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Uh, well, I mean, there were black other, but this one was like a bigger one. This one, you know, had a lot more money behind it. It was on a budget of forty-five million, uh, made one hundred and thirty-one million in the box office. So that was considered like a really big hit back in nineteen ninety-eight to make that much money um, at the time there. Um, and to go back a little bit to some of the other characters here, uh, like Wright's character, uh, who plays uh, Dr. Karen Jensen, um, her big kind of pivotal role here. And I like kind of what they do here, that she's not just a love interest in the movie, maybe in a lesser movie, mm-hmm. she would just been a love interest. But I feel like a lot of the female characters of Blade, even in the second one, which we're going to get into very shortly, mm-hmm. um, have like more of just a purpose behind she's just an attractive mm-hmm. woman here. You know, she comes up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Her, yeah. And e- even if I think uh Wright's performance is one of the weaker film. Her character does serve more of a purpose than just being a love interest because she has her own agency. She has her own uh, arc in the plot that drives her forward because she she's a woman that is uh, collateral damage in one of Blade's uh, outings. And 
because he sees so much of his mother in her, he rescues her. And she is like one of the people trying to find a cure for herself and to help Blade in uh, his mission. Mm. In fact, without her, the actual ending we got doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, true. Uh, because, you know, she's one who's, you know, discovering, trying to discover a cure uh, of vampirism. Um, and because she ends up getting bit herself. Uh, so that leads her to kind of trying to find a cure. Um, and then in, you know, in the discovery to try to find a cure, she creates this weapon against vampires that Blade often, uh, that Blade uses, which is really good. Uh, Bradley, what do you think about her character there, Bradley? I do really like that she's not just, she is a very beautiful woman, of course. Mm-hmm. But so many victims and damsels kind of just stay that way like she she has this empathy for blade but it never Mm -hmm. translates into but i can save you and i can cuddle you (laughs) you don't have to to go on with your it's like oh it's it's like so many of these uh love interests and these action movies like oh my god you're so broken now give me that dick boy i mean (laughs) exactly (laughs) no she like uh, you pointed out very well, she has her own goals of not wanting to be a vampire, and her and Blade's uh, goals actually kind of correlate with saving the day. And I think she's a brilliant character in terms of, um, is it an auxiliary character for us to learn about the lore mm-hmm. of this world that Blade lives in, without it sounding like lazy exposition, you know? Yeah. I do around with him in his badass car and as he explains <laughs> like the inner workings of the night, it's it's great. Yeah, yeah be, being the other bad cop in that scene with Pearl where she's holding the lamp. Yeah. Uh, I, I I mean, it's funny when you talk about when he's explaining to her the world of the vampires. It's like, you know, this ain't like the stuff in the movies. You know, that garlic and 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 crosses that <laughs> don't do shit. But let's do shit from the movies, like uh, uh, steaks and sunlight. That all works. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like, well, maybe you should see some movies, maybe not all movies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, so I think that that was kind of uh funny that they did that, but um. And yeah, I mean, just great world building stuff with this. Like you mentioned, the the interrogation scene when you see this this obese, morbidly obese vampire there. Of you know what I mean? I remember I was watching the Red Letter Media review they did of uh, of this film, and then uh, it was Jay who mentioned like that's pretty much every single internet troll that you ever see. Like somebody who goes like <laughs> you know like like. You know, it's like people say like, you know, Jennifer Lawrence and Brie Larson. It's like, oh, she's not that hot. You know, she's not that attractive. You know what I mean? Um, and stuff like that. It's just Pearl from this, it's just Pearl from this movie and the D&D guy from the, uh, excuse me, the World of Warcraft guy from South Park. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was I, I thought that was kind of a funny joke there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is a lot of great stuff. You mentioned the uh, I'm going to play a little bit of the uh, the end credit scene here that wasn't in the movie. I wonder. So. Who do you all, if they did a sequel and they included Morbius, who do you think would have played Morbius in 19? Because Blade 2 came out um, in 03. So who would have played Morbius, yeah. you think? Yeah, Blade 2. Yeah, Blade 2 was 2002. Oh. And shit, I think they probably would have tried to go with Josh Lucas because I think they were trying to make him like a big action star in uh, the early 2000s. Mm, Josh Lucas. Yeah. What about you? Be lazy and just say Keanu. You know, Keanu. Sure <laughs> like, oh, vampire hunter. I'm a vampire. A vampire should work together. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a vampire. Maybe we could do some good. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, for some reason, um, you mentioned Josh Lucas. Uh, Josh Hartnett uh, was he kind of like a thing back in like? Oh shit! Yeah, that's right. He's in a pretty he good was? vampire movie too, actually. Uh, Thirty Days of Night. I don't remember when that came oh. out, but he was decent in it. Yeah, that that was like I think that was two thousand six, and fun, I think fun that was movie. like yeah, yeah that that's. Yeah, that's one of my favorite vampire movies, period. And he probably wouldn't have been a great choice for Morbius. Which, you know, yeah, play him as a supporting character. Don't have him lead a movie and lead a very half-assed, thought-out movie. (laughs) Like, we'll probably talk about later when we get to Blade Trinity. Yeah, let me uh, play a little bit of this uh, Morbius here. It's over. You keep your cue. I've never felt better. Well... Besides, as long as there's a war going on, I still have a job to do. Oh, yeah? Then you're back on the clock. Marvel, I don't really lump mm-hmm. those in when I use the term. It's so over. Oh, shit. Uh, mm-hmm. Something out. Yeah, so I played the, the Morbius clip. So it's just kind of a guy standing on a roof, uh, kind of looking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just looking yeah, like a ninja it, yeah, there. Yeah, it's just a guy standing up. Yeah, it's just a guy standing on a roof who the stand-in was uh, Stephen Norrington, the director of this. And it's like he's covered up in scars because they didn't have him cast yet. This was very much a product of the film's original ending. Yeah. Um, So Uh, I, I really like the endings when Blade is just doing his thing. And that's, you know, the adventure is over. Deacon Frost is defeated, but the war continues. And this exactly. vampire that... thinks he's about to have a snack, and then Blade shows up. And like I said earlier, it's the legend, the the monster mm-hmm. that's coming for the vampire. It's beautiful. Yeah, he speaks Russian. That's so cool. Yeah, he comes back. Yeah, you see the kind of. It's like ta- and he taught me the one, the only word in Russian I actually know besides "suka." It's uh, a <laughs> dos dovadish, uh, uh, which is a uh, comrade. Mm. And that vampire's like, oh, I'm about to die. Uh, <laughs> you can tell, even if he, even if that dude was trying to act tough in front of like this chick he's about to eat, he's like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good, it's such a good turn for the vampires because they have this victim, and this victim is like, ah, this is it. I'm gonna mm. die tonight. And then those vampires, when they see Blade, are like, oh, this is it. I'm going to die tonight. You know, it's yeah. it's so cool. Yeah. And that ending of Blade, where he's in Russia, follows up into the second movie, uh, where that whole is kind of just a mission for him to find Whistler, who the vampire. So at the end, he didn't at the end of the first one, he didn't end up dying. Um, he got ended up turned into a vampire. Um, and then vampires yeah. kept him held it's up. Like, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's like this dude that Blade is torturing with a motorcycle wheel, which looks horrifying and is very, very intense. And it's like they they try to like say faces like well, he shot himself, then he turned. It's like <laughs> pretty sure that's <laughs> that not works. how that works, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, like but, it, okay we we get, but okay, we get more character. we get more of Chris Christopherson and which yeah, the dude wrote uh wrote a, a top five Johnny Cash song. So I'll always appreciate seeing more of him. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's just... Little, little Robert Battinson was watching that motorcycle <laughs> torture scene with like eyes aglow, like, I'm going to do that one day on camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so... And, oh, yeah, and this film, uh, which is, uh, again, written by David S. Goyer, is directed by Guillermo del Toro, 
which if I'm not mistaken, this is one of his first English language films. If, if, uh, if I remember, if memory serves. Uh, yeah, I believe it is. Yeah. One of his first kind of English language films, uh, Guillermo del Toro, um, you know, really blowing up right now. Um, you know, he got it just the best director Oscar for the shape of water. He did a really great Pinocchio movie. One of the, you know, three Pinocchio movies that came out last year. I don't know why there were three, but there were three last year and he did the best one by far. Um, which is nominated now for best animated feature, which is on Netflix. Uh, he also has another Netflix called Guillermo del Toro's, uh, cabinet of curiosities. That's also on Netflix. Um, he also did, um, the movie, uh, I'm blanking on it, uh, that I really love, Nightmare Alley with Bradley Cooper. Love that movie. Really amazing mm-hmm. movie. Got overlooked. Same. I loved it as well. Uh, got lo- overlooked yeah, by the Academy. So. Um, so yeah, and, yeah, and of course, another film in this kind of gothic superhero film genre with uh, the original Hellboy. Yeah, because anytime Guillermo del Toro does something, Ron Perlman has to be there. Ron Perlman, that's his, that's his boy. That's his guy. He did the Hellboy movies with him. That's just he did. It was in Blade with him. Just he loves Ron Perlman. That's his guy. Um, there. So, um, and Blade Two is probably Guillermo del Toro's worst film, but it's still a great movie. I mean, that just goes to show you yeah, how good his catalog is. I mean, I'm I'm not crazy about Crimson Peak. Oh yeah, but Crimson this Peak is, is kind, kind of, of like on the lower. This is like b tier del toro yeah but this is still a fantastic fucking movie and i and i don't mean to be hyperbolic but i have a lot of connection with blade 2 because this was the first rated r movie i saw in theaters Mm. it was like the last day of school i think uh one of the last days i was in elementary school and this movie was coming out and i begged my parents to take me to the theater and go see it so it was like a whole day last school day of school came uh went out to eat we went to the movies and little i think like 10 year old me was scared shitless at the opening of this movie yeah because it is you know guillermo does the creature features he loves i love the monsters he loves the monsters you know loves the things that go bump in the night yeah yeah all three films kind of uh dance around with the horror because you know you you introduce vampires into your movie there's going to be a little tinges of horror and this film does it, I think, better than any of the other any of the other Blade films because there are parts of this where you see the Reapers, which are this this uh this Nosferatu inspired uh, mutations of vampires, where they're they're immune to silver and garlic. They have this horrifying like plague look to them, and they're terrifying whenever they're on screen. Yeah. Uh, because the whole premise of this one, you have it where the uh, vampires are now going to Blade and teaming up with him to fight these new, mm-hmm. um, like I said, like Nick said, mutation of the vampires, these Reavers creatures who aren't just normal vampires and more you know, powerful. Their thirst is unquenchable. Um, you know what I mean? They're just constantly feeding and feeding and feeding. Um, you know, and just they just won't stop. And it takes a lot more to kill them, um, you know, than just the regular mm-hmm. old stuff that you would just kill a vampire with. Um, and this was kind of also big because it was my first exposure to Donnie Yen, who's in this movie. Criminally underrated, though, um, <laughs> that he's criminally underused, I should say, that he's in this movie, um, mm-hmm. how he's in this movie. Because he really is part of, like, this big team, the special ops vampire team that was spe- yeah, specifically the, designed yeah, to take on Blade. The, yeah, the Blood Pack, who yeah. they yeah. say that, yeah, this is a... Yeah, this is uh yes, we've been training a small tactical unit. We want you to lead them. And it's like two years, it's like, yeah, we've been training to hunt you, Blade. Which 
just as much as I think David S. Gorier as a writer is very much hit or miss, like for every, for every blade, for every blade two, and even just something as recent as a, this uh, audio series on Spotify, Batman Unburied, which Bradley, I got to thank you for turning me on to, which he was the writer on that. You're very welcome. It's incredible, <laughs> yes. We get a lot more misses from David S. Gorier, which just credits to him, just the idea of having Blade lead a, a team that has been training to hunt him is such a cool concept in and of itself. Yeah. And here's the scene where he meets the Blood Pack. Blood Pack. He's <laughs> just punking out Berlain. Ron Perlman. <laughs> Crazy Priest. that uh, Norman Reedus has more dialogue Snowman. in this one movie than all of The Walking Dead. <laughs> Yeah, it's good uh, of the blood pack. Uh, character's name. I mean, they're basically the blood pack. They're like <laughs> video game characters, basically. They're like people yeah, you yeah, pick yeah. in a like a video game fighting game type situation. Like you got the one big dude who's got the hammer and like his his girlfriend, and then you got the Donnie Yen who's you know got the sword, and you got the one guy Chupa who's got the big guns and stuff. Like they're like video game characters, mm-hmm. basically. Who who is who is yeah who yeah Chupa is played by Matt Schultz who played Vince in the Fast and the Furious. And this might as well just be Vince from Fast and Furious. Yeah, basically. Del Toro perfected his, his team-based type of films with Hellboy, I would say. This was oh, more of a 100%. prototype of how that would go. The origin of his teamwork movies, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And Nick, you mentioned the scene with um, you know Ron Perlman. That's also in here uh, where he asked him a very important question here that he was going to regret asking oh, later. Oh, yes, the most important. <laughs> yeah. Can you blush? Hey, um, uh, like, me and the uh, gang. <laughs> and then, then it just spends. Hold on, I'm playing a clip here, real quick. Just... I'm playing a clip. Oh, yes. Can you blush? Uh-oh. Here we go, Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. I see now. Yeah. Um, which, if if people don't know, so that kind of has like a. <laughs> you could, and you, <laughs> Um, a little yeah, bit of like uh, even, racist and, undertones and, and there. You, a little bit. And yeah. even you can tell in the clip that Blade was already thinking, okay, I'm already going to plant this bomb on him, but you just made it so much worse for yourself. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's you know, kind of a great interplay. Like I said, him leading a team of vampires that are meant to kill him is a very cool concept. Bradley, what were some of your thoughts on Blade 2 there? actually love the blood pack they're so they're campy in that way that reminded me of being a kid watching superhero team-ups whether it was animated features or i still to this day adore batman 66 Mm -hmm. anytime someone has like a niche or a gadget or just a personality based on their weapon i'm like i'm having a fun time this is cool so when they kind of get to the double double what is there like a triple cross in this movie <laughs> and everyone just starts turning on everyone else. It kind of well, emotionally like, bumps what, me out. Like, oh, it's like, but I like the yeah, blood it's like, pact. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like um, in the very first scene where Blade and the Blood Pack are out, one of them gets instantly bitten and turned by a Reaper, and it's a very, very kind of emotionally charged scene where this guy that they've been very close to for two years is turning into one of these monsters and they're just trying so desperately to put him out of his misery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, really love the design here. I've loved so many of, uh, 
Guillermo del Toro's creatures, I'm just going to call them. Mm. And something about del Toro that you see through this, even an action film about a vampire hunter, is he always has sympathy for the devil. Mm-hmm. And that's a poetic term, but yeah, Nomak it, it, isn't just a brain-dead monster. He actually has yeah, his he, own ambitions, his goal. He's lonely. When it comes down to it, he's just this lonely, mm-hmm. vile, yeah. kind of cool yeah, guy. I'd I yeah, hang out with him. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Nomak is played by uh, Luke Goss, who would, uh, who would go on to work with, with uh, Del Toro in Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, as Prince Nuada. And he is a much more interesting character than I remember from watching this movie in theaters in the summer I had stars where they played this every single day for an entire like two months. And I watched it every single time. And he's so much more interesting because he is very much just a child that is that was experimented on by his father and has this just deep, deep, deep hatred and this grudge against him against his father who's played by uh thomas kretschman under heavy makeup yeah heavy um yeah great thomas stuff there is his name yeah uh makeup wise when they do i mean again you know this movie being uh you know kind of 2002 still kind of bad effects because i remember there was a scene mm-hmm. especially like when they're fighting like in the um kind of towards the beginning of the movie when they first uh kind of invade uh blade's compound the uh the squad that blade is gonna end up leading mm-hmm. there's a particular scene where he's fighting um the female vampire mm-hmm. and it just looks like a straight video game it looks like straight ps2 yeah i mean it really does yeah they're there is a little bit of that kind of rubbery 2000 CG that does look a little bit funky, but in context, I think it does kind of work because these are two, these are two superhumans. They kind of do move that unnaturally fast that even as kind of rubbery as it looks, it still works for me in the scene. Yeah. I think it worked a lot better on, I went binged all of these just recently preparing mm-hmm. it worked a lot better than i remembered mm. tell me was wesley snipes just was his body finally like we can't do this anymore you can't kick that high anymore you can't spin that fast <laughs> anymore Give no i think a break. A, is that why the I, th- decision? I think it, i think it, I, th- I think it was more um and i don't know how much of this is true because okay. i remember back when the nerdist podcast was a thing and Norman Reedus was a guest on there, and he told the story about how they finished shooting one of the big action scenes with uh, with Del Toro, and it was this opening. So after that, to celebrate, they all went out in the middle of, I think, Amsterdam where they shot this. Everyone was getting fucked up, just popping ecstasy and just doing coke. And then, <laughs> like, mid-party at, like, 2 in the morning, they say – Hey, we're gonna need to reshoot that. Uh, we need you all here in like the next couple hours. It was like, bah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and everyone was still hungover and still coming down from all of the shit they did the night before. Yeah. Um, now this is all alleged. I don't know how much of that is true, but I think a lot of that contributes to to the way this film looks. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Wesley Snipes, he was 38 in Blade 2. He was 38. Okay. That's getting there. That's, you know, that's two years, two years away from your knees going. (laughs) Never coming back, you know. (laughs) Um, yeah. And the female vampire here was Nessa, who's played by Lenora Valeria. 
um, who mm-hmm. is in this. Um, and in, I think, yeah, yeah. and and there is, and as much as I love the first two Blade movies, they are very flawed films. And I think the biggest flaw of this movie is uh, the character Nissa, who is a. Uh, <clears throat> not just because uh Lena Valera. I think she's a perfectly fine actress. I just think a lot of the emotional beats that her character is given and in deleted scenes there was more of a romance between her and Blade. Okay. I don't think that carries into her performance here. Yeah. Not really, no. Yeah. And she also has her own goals and her own ambitions and yeah. her own family drama that we find out mm-hmm. later towards the end, so. Yeah. Uh, much like, I think it's funny how in Blade One and even in this one, Blade Two, a vampire's death is the most horrific, violent, scary thing. Hers <laughs> is kind of romantic, you know. Uh, spoilers mm. for Blade Two, I guess. It's like this soft little romantic, yeah. It, it's this floating away. It's it's yeah, fine, which, but it's just a little <clears throat> weird. Yeah, which I think more time was needed to develop a relationship between blade and and nissa because even in like the scene where they're in the sewer and hunting down all the reapers everyone's scared blade even before that was like hey i don't expect none of y'all to make it back tomorrow he even goes back for nissa it's like oh shit the bomb pact is getting prepared i need to go back for her yeah Yeah. um yeah, so I, th- I think I know that you like you probably mentioned like much like you know kind of with the first movie, she's you know a character who has her own goals, has her own motivations, got her own stuff going on. You know the family drama stuff because her father is, I guess, king vampire. I guess he's like one of the oldest vampires mm-hmm. ever, and uh, you know she's kind of got her own like different family dynamics there going on. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting there. Um, again, you know, even though the effects are kind of wonky, still good action stuff. I still think um, mm-hmm. you know that you kind of see here again good Donnie Young stuff that scene when they go into the the club when they go to the house of pain that whole sequence very good that whole setup that was very good stuff um yeah I that thought. whole hellraiser club sequence and one of the better need and for as kind of like very product of its time as the of the soundtracks of all three of these movies i think two kind of has the best needle drops because you before that, you get that slow motion walk of the entire blood pack walking to this club to Eye Against Eye, which to this day, that song is a fucking banger. Mm. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, and again, it has great, you know, Whistler moments. It's got great Wesley Snipes as Blade moments, um, like when he's in the sewer and he drops the bomb and, you know, he just he yells, <laughs> you know, you don't know who you're fucking with. Like, that's just absolutely, I think, really great there. Um, more... Yeah, and- yeah, oh, and yeah. in a performance that I don't think we talked about with uh, Ron Perlman, where he does kind of have this, uh, this like, I'm better than I actually am. And he, his biggest moves is just he's such a conniving little bitch. It's hilarious <laughs> to watch. It was like in that scene, it's like a tense action moment. And Blade is like going towards the bomb pack and he neglects to mention. It's like, oh, by the way, Blade, uh, did I mention the bomb lever stuck? Uh-huh. And while he's surrounded, it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and Bradley, you mentioned how there's like a lot of double cross, triple cross type things. So 
in the movie you you mentioned Norman Reed's character so it turns out at the end that he's not on Blade sides because when we're first introduced to him he's like another whistler to Blade where he's making all the mm-hmm. gadgets he's the one that's you know souping up his car and making it all you know what I mean fancy and stuff so it's good to go um his own Batmobile type thing um mm-hmm. But he does across that he's been working with the vampires the whole time. But then Blade, when the scene when he reveals that he goes like, "Well, I always knew you were dirty," but it's like, "But you allowed this guy to be in your operation and work <laughs> yeah, with you." Yeah. So it's like, "I don't." Why, why would you allow him in your car then? It's uh. like, it, as much as I love all three, uh, uh, as much as I love uh, Blade one and two, I am never going to call them the best written movies ever. Yeah. However, that entire like triple cross scene is just <laughs> this perfectly executed B movie cheese. That is so that's, well done. That's and even what Gamma was going the, for as well. Even the aftermath of like Whistler is like, I was just starting to like him. Oh yeah. Uh, let me. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, exactly. Exactly. Let me see. Let me play up. Let me cue up that scene right here. One of Damaskino's familiars. <laughs> they needed my help to bring you here to control Nomac. The old fuck, he was always just bait. And look at him. He's your only real weakness, man. You may be fast, you may be strong, and all that other bullshit. But in the end, B, you're just too human. Well, you little shit. Uh, let me see. Let me go for a little bit to see where he finally blows him up. Because that is that's kind of a good scene there. <laughs> it's so good. What do you think about that, man? It's like, wow, this is the most rage that Norman Reedus has ever been shown. Has ever shown. <laughs> Since they turned you. Right, though? Two. It's not a dud. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, final line. Oh, great. Uh, that's kind of his final line there. <laughs> uh, it just explodes. Um, and it kind of ends the way the first one kind of ends because there's a scene where he has to like regain mm-hmm. his strength again yeah. like in the first one where he has to you know you know he's ingesting <laughs> blood uh because blade doesn't drink blood like a normal vampire he takes like a synthetic mm-hmm. type of thing or a concoction that he makes to, so he doesn't drink human blood because one of his weakness he has one of the vampire's weaknesses which is the thirst he does you know crave blood but he you know doesn't drink he tries not to drink human blood at all mm-hmm. um here in the second one he ends up you know diving into a pool of you know blood where he comes out um and he gets supercharged again and he ki- starts killing all the vampires there and he ends up he and of course he does it while he's wearing <laughs> he, his he no those aren't yeah those aren't vampires those are the hapless security company that they've hired <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean oh yeah that's right yeah he does yeah <laughs> um and he ends up just kind of killing them um catches his sunglasses yeah, and, uh everything like that it's it's such a great fucking scene it is again going back to that b-movie cheese it's just i think that's the peak of this franchise it is that kind of slick style to it it is that incredibly intricate choreography it is that cinematography where we see every bit every little little uh twitch in the in the actors in their fights it is this incredible needle drop of massive attacks in the name of the game which again banger and yeah. even the action queuing up to listen all you motherfuckers <laughs> uh i do want to say to add to the scene real quick mm-hmm. a lot of superhero directors 
they will use uh, religious iconography and uh, imagery in their films. I think <laughs> Guillermo del Toro going the way of a full blood baptism before laying waste to God's enemies, quote unquote, is it's... the best best kind of religious re- reference that I've seen in these superhero <laughs> movies. I have nothing against the Spider-Man Christ pose or the Superman Christ pose. The the Blade Two ones definitely I do. my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Bradley, uh, what do you think? Blade One or Blade Two? Which you think is better? I'm way more nostalgic for Blade One. Like I said before, mm-hmm. I ended up liking the Blood Pact, and me and my brother would. And my brother was an artist at the time, and often would be a storyteller. He's still a storyteller, but mm-hmm. I lo- really liked the Blood Pact. So when things just went shitty for them, it turned out they were assholes. I was bummed. The ending of Blade 2, especially when the villain himself is like, well, here's my chance to end my misery, and he takes it, that really mm. depressed me. So that alone is why uh, I have to go with Blade 1. Nostalgia, mm. and because I just enjoy the uh, fist pump that he does in Blade 1. I just enjoy the overall fist pump of that <laughs> movie more. And, and, and Guillermo is great. Like These type of action movies... A teenage kid who just wants an action beat going, why, Guillermo? Why make me feel sad? Like, that's on me. I take that personally. But we need more superhero movies that take swings like that to tell, like, a human story like that. Yeah. Uh, Nick. But Blade 1, in short, to answer your question over Blade 2. Oh, yeah. this, is, this is very hard for me to answer because um, because Blade, wa- Blade 1 was... I think it was the first like rated R movie I watched with my dad. I think I was eight at the time. And then a couple of years later, I was just walking out of my parents. And I saw a poster for Blade 2. And I remember just going, Dad, they're making another one! Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, and and getting that like huge experience of having to be the last day of school, having going to see Blade 2 in the theater to kick off my summer of 2002 – it was just this incredible experience, and I had a lot of nostalgia for Blade for the entire, but for both of the the first two Blade films, and I think I kind of overwrit them as like, yeah, those movies were fun until I rewatched them a couple a couple of years ago, and then just seeing a lot of uh, the first Blade, where I think it is a very flawed film. I think even though uh, we talked about how great uh, in Bushy Wright's uh, Karen Jensen is as a character, I think her performance is like the one thing that is kind of a hindrance. And I'm not too crazy about uh, the third act of that movie. Uh, just the actual ending and the whole like MacGuffin of let's awaken the blood God plot. I think that's the most comic booky part of that film. And I think it's also the weakest aspect. Mm, yeah. And Blade 2, I think it is probably one of my favorite movie sequels ever because I love the first Blade movie. And Blade 2, it's one of my favorite sequels. It's one of my favorite vampire movies. It's taking a lot of the lore that was established in the first film, but introducing more of that horror aspects to it and showing a lot of what what Del Toro would bring to to cinema in his much later films, even down to <clears throat> as uh, kind of wonky as the CG of uh, both films are, when it gets practical, like with that nasty autopsy scene of one of the Reapers, 
it is grotesque. It's like a Cronenbergian nightmare, which I think even when I was queuing up Blade 2, I posted in one of our group chats, it's like Blade 2 or uh, Blade does Cronenberg, which it's so much fun. And, and even down to having a much more interesting arc than I remember for, for Nomak, where he is this kid lashing out at the people who created him and that kind of bittersweet ending it's like blade one but nomak was kind of a victim of his father mm. yeah i mean <clears throat> still a horrible monster and needs to go but there's more depth to both of these films than i remember and this is one of my favorite franchises ever off of these two films yeah um uh, yeah, it's like great stuff there with Blade 2. Uh, I'm looking at Guillermo del Toro's filmography. I forgot, like, I don't think this is his weakest film. I said that maybe <coughs> at the beginning. Um, yeah, Pacific Rim, I think, is way weaker. I think Pacific Rim is way weaker. I don't like Pacific uh, Rim. Um, I, I agree, but I also love Pacific Rim. <laughs> uh, um, so, I mean, this does a lot of great things, especially with Guillermo del Toro directing a lot of the creature stuff, a lot of the effects and the practical stuff that they do there is really good. Uh, the fight scene is a little, again, like a 2000 fight scene. kind of looks like some WWE you know to I me mean, 2k you know kind of stuff uh it, it is very much wwe but i think even if the the actual cinematography and the uh cg aspects of it do look a little wonky i think the sound design sells it mm. i think the sound is like you hear every single crunch of every single impact landed and i think that sells it more than more than more than even the faults of this of that actual scene and again just getting that very bittersweet because i think this is the only film in the franchise where we actually see blade in any kind of danger mm. with uh with his final fight scene with nomad because yeah. blade even with uh the first film where he's kind of outmatched it, it it's like he plays it with such a cool headedness that you know, Blade's going to make it out. All right. Okay. Um, And it's interesting that this film, you know, kind of has a little bit of connection with the first one um, in that, well, they also kind of bring back more of a family stuff with it. Cause in the first one, Mm -hmm. it was with Deacon Frost, who's with his mother, which they don't really play into that much. Shania Lathan, who's in the first one. Oh oh, yeah. Oh, you mean the super edible shit of the first one? Yeah. uh, Which was, yeah, they don't really play into that that much that he had a relationship with his mother. That doesn't come up until kind of the end of it Um, here in the sequel. They kind of bring up like the whole relation with Nomek and his father and how, there's that dynamic and then you also have nessa who's the sister of nomak and then that relation with the father um and bradley mentioned how that uh you know kind of her death is kind of a, a very kind of more of a romantic i guess kind of one or more of a softer death than you see in the other kind of movies there for the other characters um and um also, the movie ends great stinger, um, great kind of funny kind of thing at the end where he ends up where he <laughs> goes back to the guy in the first one. Um, which, yeah. which even even when I, yeah even when I was watching it, I was like, oh shit, I kind of forgot about him. Yeah. It's like Again, it's such it's, a great it's, like it's final Blade. shot. It's like it's Blade being as cool as a motherfucker. Yeah, just, and, he, and he loves which what is, he does. Which yeah. is what separates this character from a lot is that he's just the coolest motherfucker that has ever lived and he loves what he does. And it's like, Oh, you didn't think I forgot about you, did so, so many superheroes. And this is still to this day have that. The, I can save the day. It's a burdensome responsibility mm-hmm. and it breaks my heart that it falls on me, but I will <laughs> sacrifice my time for this cause. 
Blade's all like, time to do my favorite thing in the world and kill some vampires. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's basically that dude from Rick and Morty. It's like, oh boy, here I go killing again. Crumbopulous Michael, I think. Yeah. I mean, you even see in the trailer, I mean, he's giving a big smile. He's in the club like, yeah, I get to kill some vampires. It was fucking great. It was fucking awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> Seeing all those, uh, you know, just pearly whites. Yeah. Um, and this leads into Blade Trinity, which is the final film of the Wesley Snipes uh, trilogy there. Um, with Blade Trilogy, uh, Trinity, there was a lot of things about this movie, um, a lot of kind of uh, horror stories that you've heard about it probably. Uh, this was directed by David S. Goyer, who wrote the previous two Blade movies. This was his directorial debut. Yeah, this was, yeah, th- yeah, this was uh, David S. Goyer's directorial debut. And... I think Patton Oswalt said it best in, I think, one of his interviews about this film. It's like, if you watch Blade Trinity on its own, and, or you watch it just in context of the other two movies, it's a D minus. It's a waste of fucking film, which is my actual rating for Blade Trinity. But yeah. if you understand all of the context of all of the horror stories of what went into making Blade Trinity, it's a goddamn A plus. It's like, Citizen Kane levels of it's a miracle that this movie got off the ground in any sense of the word. Yeah, and here's a clip of uh, Pat Oswalt. Here's him talking about it right here. We were in Vancouver, <laughs> and Wesley Snipes was going crazy. He would only answer to the name Blade. He would communicate with with uh, post its that he would give <laughs> to the director, and each one he would sign Blade. <laughs> yeah. So Pat Oswalt was talking about just the behavior of Wesley Snipes on the set of Blade Trinity, um, uh, you know, and also the fact that like his trailer just like reeked of weed also, like he would walk past it and (laughs) just just be this huge smell there, Um, how people also, there's a a review, Cosmonaut uh, Variety out, Marcus, he did a review also of Blade Trinity, uh, or the whole Blade trilogy, and he also talked about how uh, people even just laughing at the script, I mean like Parker Posey Mm -hmm. is in this movie, that they would just laugh at the dialogue they had to say um also um uh natasha leone um she's also in this and there's scenes of her just laughing at the dialogue is this incredibly ridiculous yeah which i forgot she was in this and i just started watching poker face and then when i see natasha leone pop up in this i just wanted to say oh honey no what are you doing here (laughs) uh probably with Wesley in his trailer, you know, getting <laughs> <laughs> very open, and, by the way, about her and, journey to overcome yeah, and, and reach sobriety. Yeah, and so, bad joke. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, and it's kind of and it's kind of insane because originally this was going to be uh, um, a uh, like a, a closer follow up to the first two films. Like one of the original pitches was this is going to be like a post apocalypse film where the vampires won and it was essentially going to be old man blade, but the studio was kind of shaky on that. So Goyer had to rewrite the film from the ground up. And it's like, a uh, uh, like Steven Norrington was at one point attached to direct this. He turned it down because he hated Goyer's script. Guillermo del Toro was attached to this to come back from the second one, but he turned it down to direct Hellboy, which, yeah, good call, bro. Good call. Good yeah. Call. yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, What's so but, surprising to me is this, I, I hate how great this cast on paper is, other than mm-hmm. maybe Triple H. Uh, not, <laughs> not a great actor, it turns out. But 
paper. Yeah, Parker Posey's here. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, Parker. Yeah, Parker. Yeah, Parker. Yeah, Parker Posey, who is not doesn't have the best resume, but she is always a standout in anything she's in. Like, as much as I dislike Scream Three, she is the highlight of that movie. (laughs) Definitely. And yeah, you said earlier Natasha Leone is here, who's brilliant. Really having a resurgence right now. I'm so glad it's a Russian doll that people are finding finally mm-hmm. seeing her brilliance. Who told Ryan Reynolds to be this serious? Like, what idiot gave him that idea? So <laughs> rough. Like, that is a Bro, horrible he's, way. He's not even fucking gruff in this. It's like every single take, he's basically doing, he's basically playing Deadpool before fucking Deadpool. Deadpool is way more charming than Hannibal in this. And yeah. I think he'd yeah. be a great and, Hannibal is also what makes me so irritated by this script. Uh, from the uh, few comics yeah, it, I've read, Blade and Hannibal are great stories. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't even feel like it's scripted. It feels like Goyer, who, this was his directorial debut, and a lot of it, I a lot of this film I think is owed to, um, to an experience on his part. Yeah. And a lot of... A lot of uh, Ryan Reynolds' bits in this feels like he was just told to improvise. Yeah, well, I think I think he's really honed his craft. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but like mm-hmm. he's all like, "You're dick," you know, like that's how he says it. But now that he's like, at the <laughs> peak of his powers, and and even better now is what I'm and saying. Even in and even in that scene, like I don't know if it's in the script or Parker Posey was just sick of it. He's like, yeah. everyone just please stop saying the word dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I mean, in this movie, like I say, you look at it on paper, you got Jessica Biel, you got Ryan Reynolds, um, you got Parker Posey, you got Dominic Pur- Purcell. People will know he was in Prison Break. Um, I think he was, he was like in the first season or a couple seasons of Prison Break by this time he this was, was out. He was the brother. He was, the, he was like the, the main secondary protagonist of Prison Break. Yeah, he was also played a Mick Rory or a Heat Wave in both the Flash Legends and Mara. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, uh, Patton Oswalt is in this as well. James Remar is in this. Um, of course, you have uh, Chris Christopherson who's returning, and also Wesley Snipes is returning. Um, but Chris Christopherson is Whistler. He finally he dies at this movie. He's the one that just is like, I can't do this anymore. This shit is crap. Mm. He got out. Um, it's like, oh my god, this cr- time. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. <laughs> Sucks. Get me out of this movie. <laughs> uh, uh, so he he was lucky he didn't have to be on there for that long. Um, and Goyer, I mean, the way he talks about his style, he's like, I don't really write dialogue. I just kind of write situations, and I let the actors kind of, you know what I mean, kind of, because they they can just kind of do it as they kind of go along. So he doesn't like he says he's not very good at writing dialogue, even though I mean he he, he says that. So um, that's kind of yeah. his whole style. Yeah, but, dude. Yeah, dude. We can tell. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, and the premise of this one is you have another kind of vampire society, uh, kind of group here was led by Parker Posey, who's all about bringing back Dracula, um, who is Dominic uh, Purcell's character, uh, there and trying to re- resurrect him so that he can lead the vampires again. Um, and then of course, you know, Blade and his team are trying to stop him, but of course with addition to the vampires and this one, they kind of, I like how they do kind of play into the fact that vampires have their play in society because you see that they're kind of manipulating things with the police and then the fbi because they're also hunting blade along with that so i kind of like that a little bit that they're playing into that because they never really did that in the second or first movie that much Mm -hmm. um even though they mentioned it so i I do like that 
Yeah, and uh, and a lot of my problems with this movie, I think it comes down to wasted potential because like we said about the second movie, just the concept of Blade having to lead a team of vampires that have been trying to kill him is a cool concept. And even uh, Blade now having to contest with the human world on top of the vampires is also a really cool concept. And it really serves as the actual weight to the first act of the movie. But besides the first 20 minutes and right when Blade gets captured, Ryan Reynolds comes in and it's literally never brought up again throughout the rest of the movie. Mm. which I think is the biggest problem of it. And he's just like walking in broad daylight in downtown LA armed to the teeth with his fucking sword on the back after he supposedly public enemy number one, not a fucking cop in sight. Yeah. Uh, they had a lot of ideas just being juggled and I don't think they ever knew which one to commit to. Like even Dracula kind of only doesn't show up till mm-hmm. like mid third act. And he's like, oh, Dracula, I guess I'm here too. Yeah. <laughs> it's which, a very uh, bored which, Dracula yeah, performance. Yeah, which I, yeah. Which I love Dominic Purcell. I yeah. love his character on prison break. And he's one of the highlights of uh, his appearances on the flash. And he's one of the mainstays of legends of tomorrow. His character was always so much fun on there. And for a long time, he was actually my pick to play venom because he does so well at playing that good guy at heart, but always does the wrong thing even though he wants to do right. And his take on Dracula, I think it's just a tragic case of miscasting. Because even in the way that uh, that uh, Dracula, or Drake as they call him in this, because this is a hallmark of the early 2000s superhero movies where they're embarrassed to be associated with comic books, <clears throat> a lot of it feels like it just needed a different actor, needed more of this kind of like, cool charismatic menace something closer to how stoke how bram stoker wrote dracula or appearances that we would get in uh the netflix series that came out from stephen moffat with a uh, kleiss bang's take on the character and it's just kind of lacking here and i don't blame it on purcell necessarily i think he's a fine actor i just think he was given the wrong direction for this. yeah Dracula turning into a CGI mess at the end was a bad choice, in my opinion, Mm. as well. I mean, Dracula's supposed to be bigger than a computer game, you know? Yeah, and also just an odd decision, because he's, like, we're told that he's, like, the first vampire. He's so much more powerful than any of them. And in the action scenes, he's just, like, another vampire that Blade has killed literally (laughs) hundreds of throughout all three of these movies. Hmm. doesn't really do anything interesting yeah uh and i mean yeah everybody was pretty much over this movie uh pretty much i mean you know again what's the snipe's like there's a scene where he's on the slab there um and he wouldn't even open his <laughs> eyes the, uh for yeah, which this. Is, yeah yeah and that's the alternate ending and there was so much of this movie that wesley snipes outright refused to shoot so they had to like use stand-ins, they have to CGI his face on the stunt doubles. Patton Oswald, I think, has the story in one of those interviews about the much cooler black guy that <laughs> that would show up on set because Wesley Snipes refused to come out of his trailer. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, so, I mean, sucks. I mean, he just was absolutely kind of just over this. Yeah, this third movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's some kind of I said introducing you know this newer group because. Um, 
you have Jessica Biel's character, uh, who's uh, and she's the daughter of Whistler. Um, she's Abigail, and she's uh, Whistler's daughter. There uh, could have done some fun stuff there about that dynamic. That doesn't mm-hmm. really happen much. Um, she doesn't even really have much of a reaction to his death until mm-hmm. way much later in the movie. Uh, so there, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of gone. Yeah, and yeah, and I and I don't blame any of the actors. I think when a film is this incompetently made, the blame falls onto their and not that Goyer is a bad director. Oh wait, what else has he done? Uh directed Oh, uh fucking The Invisible and uh The Unborn. Yeah, he's a bad director. Never mind. <laughs> but I think a lot of that is owed to um just just really weird choices because you get a scene where uh Jessica Beale is having this breakdown over the death of one of her friends and it's not shot in a close up which I think you know if you're trying to get an emotional scene you want to focus on the most important aspect of an actor which is the face and it's shot in this really awkward wide shot with Blade just awkwardly standing in the background just repeating the word use it use it yeah, <laughs> while Jessica Beale is just breaking down Hmm. What was he even talking about? Like, does he mean uh, use your emotions to be a better yeah, warrior like, later? Yeah, use use your emotions to fuck shit up, <laughs> which I think is what they were going for. But it's, it's just so it's just odd. Hmm. And I think a lot of this, it, a lot of these scenes of Blade when he's interacting with the uh, with the Night Stalkers, as they're called, they're meant to humanize him. But they just make him feel more like an unfeeling weirdo. Yeah. yeah. They make him feel like, it's like an old man, kind of. I mean, basically. I mean, kind of. Like, because these are which, yeah, supposed which, to be newer, when, younger which, kids. You do these ki- yeah, which, yeah, which when you do these kind of stories, it's like one of the things that you want to do is kind of show that, hey, old man, your, your way is kind of outdated. You need to evolve. You need to change. But Blade is just an asshole to all of these people and they do things his way and it succeeds completely it's like nothing is made out of the interaction with the blood with uh, the night stalkers and it's just all feels odd it feels awkward it feels like everybody involved in this thing needed another like month or a week to work on it yeah um, and here's the clip when he kind of is talking to him. Some of the night stalkers well, here. That's really good. Supposed to be helping me. You look at you. The kids. You're not ready to roll with this. I mean, look at the way you dressed. Are that supposed to be tactical? What is this? What is that? Fuck you. It's a joke, huh? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's basically him just calling all them out. He calls them kids. You know, he's saying treating this as a joke. You know, Ryan Reynolds, he's got like a name tag. He's got fuck you on it. You know, I mean, he's too old to be trying to be that edgy, bro. You ain't, you know what I mean? You, I, I, you, it's like 17, 16, bro. You look too old to be trying to do that, man. <laughs> yeah, you're fucking, yeah, your backstreet boy goatee is not fooling any. We know you are 35. Yeah. I, it's, it sucks because... Hannibal is such a good character in the comics. He's an obscure character, and Blade is kind of mm-hmm. an obscure comic issue that had a huge place in the 90s, along with uh, the Punisher. To turn mm-hmm. him into just, all right, Ryan Reynolds, let's see some of that improv, like you said. Nick. I mean, he's not even... It's like he wasn't even given a character at all. And Hannibal, mm-hmm. you know, he wears like an Australian Outback hat and just loves killing vampires like Blade does, and we mm-hmm. don't see any of that in this. Yeah, and... 
Yeah, and more of Hannibal King, he's a really fascinating character. And even there are, like, hints of it in this film, because they say that, yeah, Hannibal King used to be a vampire, he was cured. And they imply that, you know, a lot of these fucking vampires are turned against their will, which is a very interesting concept, but it's not given any time to develop. And they're... Like, endgame is to just create this virus that indiscriminately kills every vampire. Which, yeah. wait, what about the people that are turned against their will? You established that you can cure them. I mean, you're you're one of those people. Uh, man, too he, late. He, he it's too late. Yeah. Care. And um, fuck him. Yeah, it's just it's too late. Yeah, he, yeah, he's yeah, he's cure. yeah, he's one of those close the escape hatch behind him types. Yeah. Uh, no reform. Uh, I, I do want to give do want to give Goyer credit. At the end of uh, at the end of Bram Stoker's Dracula, look upon the defeated Dracula who is now dead, and it is a beautiful man. And they're like, "Oh, so he was once a human as well. How mm-hmm. good that he is released from his violent, disturbing, lonely walk of the earth, and is now a corpse and is beautiful, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So the fact mm-hmm. that they at least let Dominique be his beautiful self in his death as well is kind of a Dracula shout out. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit for having that play out that way, but I, I enjoyed that. So mm-hmm. nice. it is what it is. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts uh, on Blade Trinity? Yeah, yeah just outside of uh, the script, which we said is horrible, it's full of these half-baked ideas, outside of the direction, which at best is awkward, and even when it does work, it feels like it was an accident more than something intentional. The biggest charm of the Blade films is in its action set pieces, with this intricate choreography and how these are shot so clearly. And this film... How do I put this? Um, you remember that scene in Everything Everywhere All at Once where Michelle Yeoh fighting this one guy and they both hit each other on the head and they kind of knock their kung fu skills out of them? Mm. And it's like this very awkward like slap fighting that they do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what the action in this film feels like. It feels like they it was that, but they just cut around it and give all of these like thousand cuts in, in like a 30-second fight. And it's like a slap fighting and it just feels awkward. It feels like it's covering up the fact that most of the actors here don't actually know how to fight outside of Wesley Snipes. And somehow you made even him look bad in this. Yeah. Uh, Bradley. Well, it's definitely the worst of the three by a wide margin. It's like most sequels that we get in the superhero runs where it's so bad that everyone as they're leaving the theater kind of <laughs> unanimously says, well, that's the end of that franchise. And it's, <laughs> it's so sad to think about uh, if you're going to kill an adorable dog in a movie, you have to nail that. That has to be perfect. I'm not <laughs> trying to say it wasn't funny, but I was like, Oh, poor little, poor little guy, you know, <laughs> just everything just hits wrong. There's a scene where, um, Jessica Biel's baiting and be, being human bait for herself, and for some reason she looks like she's dressed up as like a nanny at an orphanage. Thinking <laughs> the way vampires are, Jessica Biel, you could dress or David Goyer, whoever made that decision, she could just dress up as herself at the subway. <laughs> Why does she have to put on a silly old I mean, lady costume? I mean, you could do. I mean, you could do that. Terry, kind of playing into. 
a lot of what the pitch was for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where we follow the like big titty blonde girl and she gets cornered in the alley and oh, oh, call an ambulance, but not for me. Exactly, exactly. So everything here is it's just a mess and like Ryan Reynolds opens as a narrator and then closes the film out as a narrator. What the hell is that about? I, Why I, is there a narrator I, at all? I feel like I feel like they banked on on uh, Hannibal King and the Night Stalkers being much bigger hits of characters okay. than they actually were, okay. and that kind of is is what makes their interaction so awkward because they're so at the forefront of this movie, more so than the title character of Blade, that it feels like they wanted to do more spinoffs with them, but everybody hated this movie so much that it basically killed this entire franchise to the point where the next time we saw the character was in 2006 with the uh, television series that was on spike TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, With sticky fingers. Sticky fingers. Yeah. Yeah. To close out my final thought on that, you go Dracula, like guys, that's like, to quote Gyllenhaal, that's the Avengers level threat mm-hmm. of uh, Macabre. That you you gotta go so big with Dracula. <laughs> you it's need just like you, you need, said, Nick. He's you just need some you need you need more than just a slow mo montage of him just casually walking while Reza raps to him, <laughs> <laughs> dressed as like a a metrosexual pirate. <laughs> So, so yeah, I I didn't care for this at all. I wish I could stay on rewatch that I had fun at least laughing at it. Mm-hmm. It's not even that funny. I do like that Ryan Reynolds finally found his voice and what works for his shtick, mm-hmm. his routine because he narrates films now and he actually is fantastic at it. Like such a great comedian, and it's cool that all these actors, as big as they are now do have in their imdb one of the worst superhero films <laughs> fantastic not fan four stick or whatever that's well called. ryan reynolds did have green lantern that's pretty fan four stick like <laughs> <laughs> hey yeah hey he had a he had x-men origins wolverine he, oh, and then he right. had this which is like hey i guess fourth time's the charm with uh, a yeah. superhero film I forgot about a lot of bad superhero films. This one's probably not even the worst now that I'm really thinking about it. No. Yeah, yeah this I, is, I didn't care yeah, for it. it. I'll just leave it at yeah, that. Yeah, I get into my thoughts. E- even watching it today, having the first two films so fresh on my mind, even knowing the context of all the troubles that this production went through, all of the, you know, kind of like very late era of early 2000s-ness that involves a lot of this film. This movie's still a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> I I was... I remember really liking this movie, but I guess I was just 13 and very dumb. Mm. And I thought I had a lot of nostalgic... Yeah, 13, I had a... Yeah. I had a lot of... I thought I would have a lot of nostalgic goggles for this movie, but having just watched the first two rewatch the first two and watching this so close after it this is a just embarrassment to the franchise blade as a whole it's an embarrassment to the superhero genre it's just so half thought out whenever we talk about these these more recent films where they are very much the products of the early 2000s superhero films 
this is one of the worst examples of that. And I wouldn't even put put these films like Black Adam or Morbius in that category. It feels just half-assed, and it's all the more insulting because so much great came before it. This is one of my... I was angry when I was re-watching this film for the show. <laughs> hmm. uh, so yeah, I mean, like Broly uh, said, this is definitely one of the worst ones uh, of the franchise by far there. Um, and basically just kind of killed it there for a while. Um, of course, it's going to be back uh, in the MCU now that they have the rights to the character mm-hmm. Blade, because part of why Blade was made in 1998 um, was that Marvel was selling off a bunch of the rights to all the characters, so they gave a lot of bunch of the characters to all these different studios. Now they have all those characters back now. So Marshall Lee um, is going to be playing Blade um, in the upcoming MCU film there. Um you know, this franchise as a whole, it's a very good two first movies, Blade 1, Blade 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was kind of just a thing with mostly trilogies. It was hard to, you know, uh, for so, there was like a curse with a lot of trilogies. Like the third movie was always typically as a stereotype that mm-hmm. that's usually the worst one. Um, that happened also with X-Men 3. That also happened with Spider-Man 3. Um, you know, just that happened, to, that happened with that happened with the next X-Men trilogy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, which they even make a reference to. Sony, uh, Sophie Turner did. Jean Grey even makes a joke about that in uh, Dark Phoenix. She makes a joke about that. Um, so yeah, um, you know, in action wise, at least with the, the other two movies, you had some good action scenes, memorable stuff. Nothing memorable. I don't think about Blade Trinity. I don't think it's even a very good Wesley Snipes' Blade performance there. Uh, I think that one scene, the 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 scene where he's kind of you know kind of basically just talking shit to the whole Night Stalkers. I think it's pretty decent, but for the most part, it's it's not even that great of a Blade. <laughs> kind of it felt, stuff it felt like he wasn't even he wasn't even talking about like the actual characters in the scene he was talking about david s goyer <laughs> yeah uh which is yeah which is yeah kind of a little bit of that stuff there's some good stuff with chris christopherson's back as whistler i like the scene where he's you know saying like this is before he dies where he's you know talking about you know how he just kind of sees blade alone and and nobody kind of with him i think that's kind of mm-hmm. some good stuff there uh but even you know kind of that dynamic couldn't carry this movie the newer characters you know you have again look on this paper good cast but none of these newer people i don't think do a, a good job here i um, mean kind of very much wasted and uh kind of a bad uh, directorial job and writing job from uh, david s gore here um so if i had and to clearly, say yeah and clearly from a and clearly from a directorial standpoint david s gore did improve yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> So if I had to say, I would give so I would give maybe Blade One. I would say a high tune in. Uh, Blade Two also a strong tune in, and then Blade Three. I'd, I'd give it a burn it. Um, I would say for just some of the some of the few stuff um, scenes I mentioned, um, some of the character where I, it saves it. I guess from being a waste of fucking film. Uh, but that would be my rating uh, for the three of the films uh, there uh, for the Blade trilogy uh, for me. Um, yeah, so. Uh, unless uh, Bradley, did you want to give uh, your rating for the all three of them? So our rating system: we have a tune in, tune out. Uh, we also have a stream it. We also have a skip it. We have a burn it, and we have a waste of fucking film, uh, which is our lowest rating. Wow! 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 I definitely tune ins for Blade One and Two. Mm-hmm. Even though some of the, as we said, some of the effects don't quite live up to it, but I think it's fun when they don't. You know, when you look at older films and it's kind of goofy. What mm-hmm. was mind blowing at the time, you know? Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's kind of that thing where you watch a really old movie and you look at the effects of them, and some of them haven't really aged well. It kind of adds to that charm, I yeah. think. It kind of adds to the charm of those films like that. 
No, absolutely. For the third one, I didn't like it at all. I was <laughs> it was upsetting that I couldn't even laugh at it. You know, like, oh, I know it's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. It's so much of it is just what story are we telling again? That's so funny, Nick. You said that it was going to be the vampires one at the beginning because that's kind of how it opens. Like we're in a mm-hmm. post-apocalyptic setting with an ancient pyramid. <laughs> did the world and, end? And it's, and it's just and it's just Iraq now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't want to say that it's a waste of fucking film because at least we have our answer why there's no Blade movies. Mm-hmm. So I'll just say burn it and also just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Nick. Yeah, yeah. Um, before I was, uh, before I geared up to rewatch the trilogy this week, I would have said, uh, uh, one is a is a high tune in, two is a very high tune in, and not just because I have such a nostalgic goggles for it, and three is a burn it. But then rewatching all of the films films in such quick succession, Blade just because of how charming it is, it is kind of this perfect time capsule of, uh, of the late nineties and how much it influenced films like the matrix, like, uh, the early, uh, the early like aughts of the superhero genre and how important the film ended up being blade. One is a, this is cinema for me because not just because of how great the film is on its own, but just because of what it meant to the genre and what it meant to black cinema period, because this is like the first big successful, we're taking this all seriously black superheroes. And it became so iconic and blade two. It's one of my favorite uh, cinema theater experiences of all time. It's one of my favorite film sequels period. It has such great action. It has such great, uh, a setup and dynamics between Blade and the Blood Pack. I would have said tune in earlier, but just because of how much fun I was having, especially when Blade does go on his rampage, it's a, also with this is cinema. I love both of these films. And I kind of had a guilty pleasure feeling going into Blade Trinity when I was doing my recent rewatch. And even knowing all of the troubles that it went through, knowing that, yeah, this movie kind of sucks, but it can be charming in its own way. And the more the more I was getting into the film and rewatching it, nah, this movie is a fucking... It's the fucking sweaty, herpes-infested taint of the superhero genre. There's just nothing really redeemable for this film to me. It just... It's not just a bad superhero movie. It's a bad Blade movie. It misses everything that made the first two films so charming, where it was this kind of hyper-stylized, like, sort of grounded real world, but also introducing all these supernatural elements, this creature feature stuff, these horror elements, having this and this uh, very intricate action choreography. None of that's here. And it's just one of the biggest disappointments of the genre. And it's one of those things that makes me more hopeful for Mahershala Ali and uh, the MCU's blade, because if you can even capture 1% of that cool factor that made the first two blade films, because you don't even really need to be that gory when most of your enemies turn to ash, you don't really need gore in a, in a blade film. 
when you really think about it. And if you can capture like a hint of that coolness, then you'll at least be better than Blade Trinity, which gives me more hope for uh, MCU Blade. Mm. All right. Um, and that was the Blade Trilogy review there. 